you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, uh, just uh, kind of to prepare our hearts uh, for today and God's message for us, I was uh, praying and seeking uh, what God would have us to study. And with Labor Day uh, tomorrow, Labor Day being the day that no, not that you go on vacations and barbecue and stuff like that, although that may happen, but Labor Day was originally set up to commemorate all the hard work and uh, industrial spirit of America that has made our nation so prosperous. So we set aside one day out of the year to uh, take a break from the work of our hands to just enjoy the blessings that God has poured out upon our nation. And with that in mind, I wanted to take some time for us to consider a debate that's been going on in Christian circles for quite some time. And it's really about a tension that exists within our faith. And there are many different tensions where there are these two truths that you have to hold on to. And if you let go of either one of them or you, uh, you focus too heavily on one to the exclusion of the other, there, there's an imbalance that is created. And we lose something that's very precious about our faith. And so to think about... Labor Day and the the holiday that we'll be celebrating tomorrow, I want to talk to you a little bit about the idea of work and rest. Work and rest, or, you know, and and rest, we can also uh, substitute the word faith, is this idea that in the Christian faith, in biblical theology, we have this idea where Christ has already done everything for us. There's nothing more that we need to do. We can rest in His finished work. And what a wonderful truth that is. And in fact, that is a biblical truth that really sets Christianity apart from every other world religion in the world today. This idea that we don't have to do because God has already done for us and we can just rest in that. But we can't just leave it at that because there's also many biblical passages and many biblical truths that point to the idea that there is something that we are called to do. That we are not called just to sit idly by and wait until Jesus comes back to take us into glory, but that he's not just saved us from something, but he's also saved us to something else. And what we've been saved to is to partner along with him to bring about his kingdom here on this earth as it is in heaven. And so there is this tension within our faith of resting in Christ, but also being called to do something in light of what God has already done in us. Now, the problem that many times we see in Christian circles is that there is a tendency to let go of one of these truths and to, uh, to highlight or to underscore one to the detriment of the other. And when that happens, something is lost. Something really important is lost. For instance, there are some Christians that emphasize works and what we do so much that they have fallen into the trap of legalism. They have... Uh, ex- uh, underscored the idea that you need to do this, 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 and this in order to be a Christian. You need to attend church. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to share your faith. You need to serve others. You need to give generously. There are all these things that we see in Scripture that we are called to do, and they emphasize that, but they don't talk much about the rest in Christ Jesus. And because of that, they've gone to this idea where there is this impossible list of things that we have to do. And oftentimes, we can feel really good about ourselves if we feel like we measure up. 
and pat ourselves on the back and be filled with pride. Or we can go through this life and go through the Christian journey just weighed down by guilt and shame, by the burden that we don't measure up, and that we try and we try and we try, and we always fall short. And it can leave us burnt out and broken. Some of you here today may feel burnt out and broken because you have emphasized what we ought to do for the Lord and have forgotten what the Lord has already done for you to empower you to that service. But on the other side, if we forget all the things that we are called to do, if we forget all the things that God has uh, invited us to partner with him on and we just emphasize grace and we just emphasize faith, that also is a danger. Because those who fall into that trap begin to treat God's grace and begin to treat the gospel almost like it's a license to sin. And they can go and do whatever they want with whomever they want, how often they want. And then they'll just come on Sunday morning, they'll empty out their sin bucket only to fill it up the next day. Because again, God's grace is sufficient and it's all about faith and it's not about what I do because God's already died for me on the cross. Jesus has died for me on the cross and has paid for my sins. And so we need to avoid these two dangers of falling into legalism or falling into licentiousness. And we need to recover, rediscover that tension between rest and work. And I believe when we do so, there's something beautiful there that will empower us for the Christian service that God has called us to. In fact, what I want you to hear, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to understand that God has told us time and time again that it's our rest in Christ that fuels our work for Christ. That if you forget your rest in Christ, you will end up burnt out and frustrated. But as you rest in Christ, as you remember the gospel, it propels you forward to do all the things that God has called you to. So today, as we get into God's word and we see this truth unpacked and this tension held out before us, I hope it will be encouraged that God has already given us everything we need in Christ Jesus to do the work that he's called us to. So let's go ahead and take a look into Philippians chapter 2. Uh, starting in verse 1, and we're going to see three important ways that this truth is held out before us. Paul is writing to the church there in Philippi. He's writing from basically house arrest there in Rome to a church that he loves very dearly. Out of all Paul's letters, this is the one that's just brimming and overflowing with joy because they understood this tension. They lived it out. Notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now here what I want us to see in this first little section here in chapter 2 is as Paul begins to unpack for the Philippian church this, this beautiful dynamic of resting in Christ and our works for Christ, he begins by showing them the beautiful uh, the effect that this has in their life by being able to love one another. He says, if you hold on to 
or rest in Christ, it then allows you, it then fuels you, it then enables you to love others the way we ought to, the way God has called us to. Did you see where Paul he prefaced all the things that we are to do for others, how we're to serve others, love others? It was all prefaced by the effect that the gospel first has in our own heart. Did you notice that in verses, uh, verse uh, 1? It says, therefore, if there's any consolation. That word consolation basically means to comfort or encourage. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort in the love of Christ in your life, if there's any fellowship in the Holy Spirit as God unites us together under one spirit, if there's any affection, if there's any mercy, he says, then do all these things. And then the next few verses there shows us what happens, but I don't want you to skip by too quickly what precipitated all that. It's all based on what the gospel has done in us. Paul says, if the gospel has done this in you, if it has begun to do a changing work in your heart, if you have experienced the love of God as he's poured his love into your life to transform you from enemies of Christ now to sons and daughters of God, if you have been, ever been in awe of the love of God, of how we do not deserve one blessing from him, we have spit in his face, we have walked away from him, we have gone after our sin time and time and time again. And yet, God, without fail, with an eternal patience, continues to accept us back and to forgive us. Forgive us even knowing that we're going to drop the ball again and again and again and again. As only a perfect father can, he loves his children in spite of our failures. It's because of that kind of patience and that kind of forgiveness and that kind of love that we are then catapulted into loving others. Jesus tells us time and time again in the Gospels that as God has loved you, as God has poured into you, now you go and love others. As you have been forgiven, now you go and forgive others. Hear me very clearly. We cannot love other people without first experiencing the love of God. If we have not experienced the love of God, then we will not be able to love other people the way we ought. Now, I know that in our world, there are a lot of different definitions of love. There are a lot of different ideas about what love may be, and the prevailing notion of love so far in our culture is very much an emotional love. If you feel a certain way for someone, then you can fall in love with someone, but then you can also climb back out of love if that feeling has gone away. And it's just very fleeting from moment to moment, from circumstance to circumstance. But that's not biblical love. And it's the love of God that is the true definition of love. And what God's Word tells us is love is not an emotion. Love is an action. It's something that you do on behalf of someone, oftentimes in spite of how you may feel towards that person. That person may use you and abuse you and, and treat you in disrespectful ways, but you still love them not because they deserve it, but because God deserves it. Because he has poured into us when we didn't deserve it. And so we pour into others as well. You know, oftentimes as we think about this idea of selfless, sacrificial love, I'm reminded about my relationship with my kids. My, my kids, when they first came, they were, they were so cute, they were so sweet, they were so adorable, and they were so useless in many ways. 
They didn't do anything. And I know there are teenagers now, and there can be an argument there that it hasn't changed. But no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But as little kids, they're cute and they're adorable, but they don't do anything for the family. The family has to sacrifice so much to provide for them, to love them, to pour into them. And all the child gives back in return is love. Just, just being there, just their very being is all that is needed. And we just pour into them and love them just because of who they are. And what a beautiful picture of the way our Heavenly Father treats us and loves us. It's not based on what you do, but based on who you are. Not who you are in and of yourself, but who you are in Christ Jesus. And so God loves you no matter what you do. And so we don't do, we don't work for Christ to earn something from Christ, but we work because how could we not? How can I not love God when he's loved us in such a way? I don't come to church because that's what's expected of me, and if I do so, I get a little extra point in God's little ledger. I come to church because I can't help but come to church. I love getting close to God and worshiping God with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't read my Bible because I have to read my Bible, and that you know, uh, elevates me in the echelons of uh, Christians and works and things of that nature because I get extra blessings because of it. I do it because I want to know my Heavenly Father who has loved me so much and He sees us as the apple of His eye and I just want to know Him just a little bit better. I want to spend a little bit more time in prayer with Him just because He's waiting to hear from me. Not because of who I am, but because of who He is. He's the kind of Father that's sitting on the edge of His throne waiting to hear from His children. How beautiful is that? And so that's what Paul points to. He says, if there's any consolation in love and in Christ, if there's any uh, comfort and mercy and fellowship of the, of the Spirit, then notice what he says next. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done with selfish ambition or conceit, but lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for your own interests, but the interests of others. If I could just summarize all of what Paul says there in that verse, it's humility. Because of what Christ has done, we are humbled. And we serve and love other people because of what Christ has done. So again, when we talk about this idea of resting and working, I can only work and love and humble myself and serve others and love others and pour myself out for others because of what Christ is pouring into me. As I rest in him and rest in the gospel, I then love other people the way he has shown me to love. So you may be sitting here today and you do all kinds of wonderful things. I love Highland Park Baptist Church because you are a serving group of people. You love and you pour out. You, you serve in so many different ways and ways that many people will not know. Behind the scenes, just loving others. But some of you may be here today and you've been pouring out so much and you are feeling tired. You're feeling worn out. You're feeling burnt out and you're feeling dry. I want to encourage you, that may be because you have not been allowing God to pour into you. You need to spend some time with your Heavenly Father to let Him pour into your life so that you have enough to then pour out into others. That's what we see in Paul's writing to the Philippians. But notice what he says next. Not only does resting in Christ allow us to serve others, notice what he goes on to say. 
And jump down to verse 12 real quick. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, this is a really uh, tricky verse of Scripture that if we're not careful, we can, we can get messed up in our theology. This is not Paul saying that you have to work out your salvation and earn your salvation. That is not what Paul is getting at there. In fact, if you uh, highlight or underline in your Bible, I want to encourage you just to highlight or underline that word that we see in verse 12 where it says, work out your salvation. And then again in 13, it says, uh, for it's God who works in you. Those are two very different words, and it's important for us to note that. The first word is a word that basically means to work out to completion. That there's something that we need to uh, um, labor in to bring to its conclusion, to, uh, to maximize all that has been poured into it. Maybe a good way to think about this is when I was growing up, oftentimes we would spend uh, the summer with my grandparents, and there in the Georgia heat, we would get out there on the farm and uh, my grandfather would till the ground and he would plant all kinds of uh, corn and squash and all kinds of things. And, and it was amazing to see those things grow and produce, but then you had to go out there and you had to harvest and you had to pick all the, the, the vegetables, and you had to pick all the fruit, and then you would have to take it to the farmer's market to sell it so that other people can enjoy it. And I can often remember we would sit in the living room uh, uh, breaking up snap peas and stuff like that for dinner to can and, and things of that nature. And the beautiful thing about all that, and why this is, that's a good picture of what Paul is kind of driving at here, is those things were able to grow in that field not just because we labored in that field, but because God had put the ability for that ground to produce what it produced. You know, there are some pieces of ground, it won't produce anything. In fact, oftentimes I've tried to garden, uh, you know, now that I've, I've uh, moved out on my own. I love gardening, that's just been instilled in me. And there have been times where I can't grow a thing other than weeds. But there are some ground that is just ready to be max, uh, used to the maximum uh, uh, ability that God has instilled into, into it. And so we need to understand that whenever we grow anything, it's because God has blessed that growth. But we also have to labor in it. If you just sit around and look at a field, is it going to grow anything of any use? Not really. Even if you were to take seeds and scatter them out in the field, are you going to get the best harvest that you can? Of course not. You see, God has given that field potential. He's given you the energy and the knowledge and the ability to maximize that field. But you have to work together. You have to cooperate with what God is already doing to, to experience all the blessings that he would have for you. Another way to think of it, many of you have been through physical therapy before. And whether it be your knees, your hips, or whatever it may be, uh, the doctor who's had incredible training and skill and tools and abilities is able to bring healing to your body. It was nothing that you did. You were asleep probably uh, the, the majority of the operation. But he brought great healing to your body. But then what do you have to do after the surgery? Physical therapy, right? And what happens if you don't do the physical therapy that is prescribed to you? Do things get better or worse? Oftentimes, they'll get worse. So 
The physician brought the healing to you, but you have to partner with that healing to do your part to experience all the blessing that that surgery is supposed to bring into your life. In the same way, God has done a divine surgery in your life and in my life. He has brought healing to you in a way that no one else can bring healing. He has saved you and He has redeemed you. But you are to partner with Him. You are to cooperate with what God is doing in your life so that you can experience all the fullness of the blessing that God would have you to experience. And so this word here of cooperating and taking to the fullest is what Paul is saying is your part. Your part is to partner with God to experience the fullness of what God would have you to enjoy and to be a part of in this life. But notice what else he goes on to say. He says, for it is God who works in you. Again, that's a very different word from the, uh, the one he just previously used. This word means to energize. In fact, the Greek word there is a derivative of where we get the word energy from. And this basically means it's an empowering type of work. That as God works in you, he gives you the the desire and the ability to do the work he's called you to do. And so it is a partnership with God. As he is working in you through the gospel and through Christ, you then work out what he has done in you. You know, next week, we're going to be doing uh, baptism. And does baptism save you? Of course not. But it's an outward display, an outward working of obedience of what God has already done inwardly in that person's life. And that is what the Christian life is all about. As we work, as we serve, as we live for God, we're doing it not to earn, we're not doing it in our own steam, but we're doing it in the power that Christ gives us as he works in us. There are times where I cannot help but just spend time with God in prayer. There are times as we were worshiping together, I don't know about you, but I was just, my heart was touched as you hear the people of God singing. And God just drawed you along. And I don't know about you, but I just can't help but sing in those moments. I can't help but feel closer to God. That is God drawing you closer to him. And as he draws you closer, you participate by singing and praising and worshiping together. In just a moment, we're going to have invitation. Don't get excited yet. We still got a little bit more to go. But in a little moment, and in just a moment, we're going to have invitation. Some of you, even now, you can hear God whispering to your heart. And he's speaking to you and he's, he's prompting you to do something. To move on his behalf. That's God working in you. The question is, are you going to take it to completion and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? That awe of God that, wow, the God that spoke this universe into existence, he sees me. He knows me. He has a plan for me, and he is drawing me into that plan to partner with him. What a wonderful task. What a wonderful responsibility that is for each and every one of us. Then I want you to notice what it says next. As we see this resting in Christ, notice what it does, what Paul says in verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here's what I want you to understand as we kind of begin wrapping things up. As we hold on to this tension between rest and work, resting in Christ so that we can work for Christ, 
Not only does it help us love one another, as we saw Paul begin this chapter with, not only does it help us in our spiritual growth as God is working in us and then we allow that to work out to completion in our life, but notice what he says, as you are doing this, as you are allowing God's work in you to to flesh out, then in your relationships with others, and especially, notice what he says, in your relationship to the world, you begin to shine out as lights. It's because of our rest in Christ that I'm able to be a witness in the world. You know, the, the, the big problem, that I, as I speak with a lot of unbelievers and, 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 and share my faith with them, a lot of times what they'll say is, well, religion is just a big list of do's and don'ts. Do this and don't do this. And it's been just a bunch of rules and a bunch of hypocrisy. And what... What they fail to understand, maybe in a large part because we failed to communicate it or live it out, is Christianity is not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's all about what Christ has already done, and we rest in that. And so we don't need to guilt, we don't need to shame, we don't need to coerce, we don't need to twist anyone's arm. We just need to show other people the amazing work of what God has done in our life. And as we rest in that, I'm telling you, that is a beautiful picture that those who don't have that kind of hope and peace and joy and love, they want that. They see that and they want that and they will begin asking you about the hope that is within you. And then you can answer. And you can point them to Christ who is the one who makes all the difference in the world. I know as I was uh, growing early in my uh, Christian life, I oftentimes felt so guilty about sharing my faith. Oftentimes I would, I would want to do it, but wouldn't do it because I was afraid. And then I would do it and I, I felt like I just stumbled all over myself. And then I would feel guilty about that, like I dropped the ball until I just rested in Christ and realized, you know what? I don't save anybody. It's not my job to save anybody. It's not my job to lead anyone in prayer. It's not my job to convince anyone of anything or argue anyone into salvation. My job is simply to rest in Christ and be faithful. And when he says speak, I speak. And when he says be quiet, I be quiet because God's the one doing the work in that other person's life. God's the one who's leading them to himself. And sometimes he uses me and sometimes I get in the way. And so as I rest in Christ, I realize it's not about my work. It's about his work. So I rest And I watch as God works in and through my life and the lives of other people to change and transform lives for his glory and for his name's sake. And so as we close things out, I just want to encourage you. I don't know what God's speaking to your heart. I don't know what he's calling you to do. But this is what I do know. It's only as we rest in him that we're ever going to be able to live the Christian life the way he's called us to live. If you're here today and you're tired You don't know if you can take one more step on this spiritual journey. I just want to encourage you, rest in him. If you've been resting for too long, if you've been sitting on the sidelines, God's calling you today to get into the game, to begin working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Whatever that looks like, however that works in your life, this is the moment where we step out in obedience as we follow God in the work that he's doing in our life. Let me pray for us as we go into our time of invitation. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. Father, I thank you that you have called us together as your people. And Father, as we see you working in our life, as we see you doing a great work, Father, we just pray that you would help us keep our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, as we seek to just follow you one step at a time, Lord, bring much glory to yourself. 
Lord, use this time of invitation for your name and for your kingdom. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.